Hello, everyone. This is Dr. Anthony Crenitti IV here, also known as Dr. Finance, and welcome to my first episode of Dr. Finance Live. We have a very special guest today. Her name is Sharon Lecter. She's the co-author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and also the author of three Napoleon Hill books. I'll let her tell you all about her story, and let's give Sharon Lecter a great welcome. Welcome, Sharon. How are you? Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be with you, Tony. I appreciate it. Oh, you're, you're welcome. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. So, Sharon, we're going to get started uh, just trying to understand a little bit about how you how you became uh, to the position where you're at. Can you tell us a little about your, your origin story? Absolutely. I'll try and do the Cliff Notes version since <laughs> I've been around a long time. Okay. Um, I grew up in a very lower middle class home. We lived in a very small house between my mom's beauty shop and my dad's car lot. And we had um, rental properties that I had to go scrub out bathrooms between tenants. I swore I would never be an entrepreneur. Um, I wanted to become a sophisticated professional. My, neither one of my parents had college degrees or even high school certificates. They, my dad ended up running the engineering school for the Navy. So he's a pretty smart cookie, self-taught. And so I was um, just determined to be a professional. So I got my degree in accounting, started with one of the big eight at that time, and was one of the very first women to start in public accounting. And Loved it. I thought I was pretty hot stuff, young, single in Atlanta, Georgia. But at about ripe old age 25, I woke up and said, if I'm going to work this hard, I should be working for myself. Is that where you're originally from, Sharon, Atlanta, Georgia? Um, Well, no, I grew up in Orlando. I was born in San Diego. I was a Navy brat. We lived in Chicago for five years, Great Lakes. And then my dad retired when I was eight to Orlando. So I really grew up in Orlando. Okay. And uh, when I got my first job, it was up in Atlanta. So it was pretty uh, kind of the real first stint away from home other than going to college. And, um, you know, I realized that if I was going to work those long hours, I should be working for myself. All of a sudden, (laughs) my parents looked a lot smarter. So I had a client who um, asked me to go with him into a company who was buying out of bankruptcy. I still remember trying to figure out what I should do during the old yellow legal pad, pros and cons, and didn't help me a bit. I could argue both sides, but my hand kind of took off across the top and said, why not? Why not do something different? Why not take the path less traveled? Why not become the CEO of your own life? And so I made the decision to leave. Happened to be a really bad decision, worst business decision of my life because the company had all kinds of corruption. But had I not done that, I wouldn't have met my husband, Michael Lecter. He was actually an attorney involved in a lawsuit that the company had been involved in. So we met. It was love at first sight. We celebrated 40 years of marriage in September. And so my worst business decision became my best life decision. And that's why I tell people we have mistakes and failures in our life, but they're just learning opportunities. Fast forward, we had kids. Our kids didn't like to read. I met the inventor of the first talking children's book. I actually have one right here um, with books with the sound strips down the side and helped him grow that. And I learned so much about publishing, about the power of association. We had this new technology with kids didn't have screens or technology back then. And so he said, how can we get parents to trust us? And so we partnered with Disney, Warner Brothers, Sesame Street, Marvel Comics, and it exploded the company around the world. And so I learned so much in, in working with him. And then 
um, we sold that company, moved to Arizona, and our oldest son the next year went to college in September and came home in December in credit card debt. I was so mad at him, <laughs> but I was more mad at myself because we didn't even know he had credit cards. He got to campus in September and there were tables, free pizza, free money, free t-shirt, free money. So he had a really good time his first semester in college and we didn't bail him out, made him figure it out on his own. And he's as dedicated as I am to financial literacy today. But that was December of 1992. And that's when I dedicated the rest of my life, the rest of my career to financial education and financial literacy. And it's just been an incredible journey. Um, fast forward a few years, I met Robert Kiyosaki, had this idea for a board game. Well, it was exactly what I was teaching. And so I volunteered to help him um, get the cash flow board game manufactured and get it fine-tuned. And in that process, he wanted to, you know, I said, charge $200 for the game. I said, that's kind of pricey. Maybe we should uh, write a brochure that tells the philosophy of the game. And that brochure was Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which was released in April of 1997. Most people don't understand that it was actually written as a marketing tool. And of course, it took off a life of its own. And over the 10 years, we worked as partners in the company um, that we co-founded. We wrote 15 books together, lots of games, lots of other programs. So the game came first before the, uh, for the book, right? It was the game and then the book, right? The cash flow game was first. Okay. And we released them, you know, to the public about the same time, but it was an incredible journey. Um, and I use what I learned from the talking book industry to help license and, and build it around the world. We had over 108 countries, over 51 languages. And that was, um, in 2007, we'd been partners for 10 years and he wanted to go into franchising, which was not a model I agreed with. And so I left at the height of our success, not knowing what was in front of me. I thought Rich Dad was my legacy, but somebody upstairs said, no, there's more for you to do. A few months later, I got the call from president Bush and I had the incredible honor of being on the first president's advisory council for financial literacy. So I served both president Bush and president Obama and, I wouldn't have had that call had I still been a rich dad. So I tell people when I share this story, I challenge all of you. Sometimes you have to close one door for other doors of opportunity to open. And then a few months later, I got a phone call from um, Don Green, the um, CEO of the Napoleon Hill Foundation, asking me to help step in to reinvigorate the teachings of Napoleon Hill, because this was 2008 when our economy was crashing. And that relationship has just been incredible over the last 12, 13 years because um, I've had the privilege of writing four books with a foundation, um, Three Feet from Gold, Outwood of the Double, um, Think and Grow Rich for Women, and Success in Something Greater. So it's been an incredible journey, and I love it. This year, I'm writing a new book that's coming out. You see it over my shoulder called Exit Rich with Inc. Magazine. Wow. It will be out, and um, I wrote it with Michelle Seller Tucker. She's the top female business broker in the country talks about how to build value into your business, how to build the foundation for your business so that it can grow. So you can take your successful business and make it sustainable, scalable, and saleable. And even if you don't sell it, it generates an engine that creates um, generational wealth for you. So that kind of brings you to where I am today. (laughs) Okay. So um, can you talk about uh, why why did you decide to become a CPA though, originally? Well, 
kind of a boring story. I was in college and I was on a double track business major as well as a science major. I wanted to be a geneticist. I spent a summer um, researching with a genetic um, doctor, a scientist, loved it. But then I realized it was going to take me a minimum of eight years to get a degree that I could use for a profession in sciences or four years at that time to get my accounting degree. So I chose accounting and you know, numbers had always been my gig. It was my eighth grade English teacher who told me that I would be a famous writer. I thought she was crazy. <laughs> and then my house mother in college told me that I would be on stage speaking. I thought she was crazy, but here we are. So you were always good with numbers, even when you were a kid? Yes. Yeah. Um, your, number, your numbers tell a story. You know, people are so afraid of looking at their own finances. But, and I know you agree with me. You're, even if the news is bad, if you take the time to figure out where you are financially, you actually feel empowered because you've done something. And your numbers tell a story, and it's a story that you can change if it's not in the right direction. Absolutely. I agree. Tell us about your childhood a little bit. How uh, any new um, facts you'd like to share with us that led to your success, maybe stemming from your childhood? Well, I had my dad was a career military guy, and when he retired from the Navy, he went to work with Martin Marietta. So it was still very, um, very structured, but all the all the time had these side businesses. Um, even back then. And so he was very dedicated. My parents were both worked very hard. My mom had her own beauty shop. And so the, the idea of um, being responsible for yourself was just part of how I grew up. The idea of giving back and helping others in need, always part of my life. We had, you know, kind of a, I can't, I can't talk about having a bad parent because I had parents that loved me and they told me that I could be anything I wanted to be. But they also didn't hover. They also did not enable me. Um, they just expected that I would get my work done. And somewhere along the way, I told my parents, I said, I'd like to know what you did to me so I could bottle it and make millions and billions of dollars. Because my work ethic, my dedication to giving back and taking care came from how I was raised, but not there was no structure to it other than that's how they lived. They set the example. Do you think love had to do anything with it? I mean, if you no. look at a lot of people that are successful, a lot of them come from families that are loved. Well, absolutely. I mean, there was, you know, my, my dad being in the military, there wasn't a whole lot of um, outward affection, but there was definitely respect and love and something that, uh, you know, they cherished me. I had an older sister. She was the more, um, Stay the more consistent one related to going through a career. I was kind of the wild child, always wanting to try something new and different. And they loved us. You know, they loved me through it, I say. And so they were um, always there to support us when we needed it. And certainly, um, you know, our children, my parents, uh, tomorrow would have been married 73 years. They're both gone now, but uh, they were... um, very, very long term. And it was just a real gift to us. Thank you, Sharon. Um, moving on to uh, another question, a different topic. What What does it feel like to be the author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad? It, Rich Dad, Poor Dad is what, the number one finance uh, book in, ever? <laughs> 
Well, the, the Rich Dad brand is the number one personal finance brand in the world. And it's been an, it's humbling as an honor, but it's also, you know, I think one of the, the purposes I had on earth was to create this treasure trove of information how people take control of their financial lives because we are not teaching it in school. And, you know, I'm as angry about that today as I was back in 92 when my son got into, uh, into credit card debt. And it's something that when I was on the President's Advisory Council, we passed the Credit Card Act of 2009. I can't take credit for the bill, but I can take credit for being a squeaky wheel. And in that act, it prohibits credit card companies from soliciting college students on campus or within a thousand feet of college activity. And as I said, I can't take credit for the bill, but I definitely um, was a huge vocal advocate for it because our kids now are not going to get solicited on campus. They still get solicitations, but at least now they have to show that they have the ability to repay or they have a cosigner. And so there's that moment of thought, that question that makes them stop, stop and think about it. And so it's, it's just so important to me. And so, um, you know, Rich Dad was just part of my journey. And I was, I'm very, very proud of that brand. I'm very proud of the, what we, the, the changes we made. I have people all the time come up to me and talk about how that opened their eyes. A couple of weeks ago, I was at a, a, a financing meeting for Tarek El Musa, who's creating a new real estate fund. And his partner came up to me and said, Sharon, 17 years ago, you came and taught my entrepreneurship class at University of Arizona. Because of that class, it opened my eyes, and I'm now a multimillionaire in real estate because of that. And it's yeah, like, you, you've Whoa. changed a lot of lives, Sharon. I mean, you have celebrities and all kinds of people coming that that always say that your book is is top. And and of yeah. course, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. So, interestingly, both of the books that you represent uh, are top it's of mind. Pretty, it's much. a pretty humbling, a huge honor to have built the largest personal finance and then to help reinvigorate the largest personal development brand. Yeah. I'm probably the, I'm the only person that can say they were involved in both, but um, it's pretty humbling. I was in a meeting uh, in clubhouse last week and um, a major Hollywood executive started talking about thinking grow rich. <laughs> and I just thought of you, I'm like, wow, Every, everywhere, everywhere we go, like, you know, you're somehow you're indirectly or directly mentioned with your brands when you're talking about finance, at least. Well, it's, it, it's a huge honor. As I said, you know, it's something that um, all of us are in a position to help other people. And that's what you're doing with what you're doing. You know, the, the whole doctor finance initiative is to make people aware of the choices they're making around money. And it takes all of us, you know, and the, the, we're still not providing that information in schools. So we have to provide it as best we can. Yeah, absolutely, Sharon. And actually, that leads me to the next question. Uh, my first book was called The Necessity of Finance. Your, I believe your introduction to Rich Dad Poor Dad was something around that too. Do, do you agree with uh, my, my message that finance is necessary for not just one person or one group, for everybody? Like finance is necessary for every single person. Well, it's important because you know money isn't everything, but it sure as hell makes life a lot easier to live when you understand it. Because at the end of the day, you're either in charge of your money or it's in charge of you. And it's up to you to make that determination. Are you going to be powerless? Are you going to let money dictate your happiness? Or are you going to be in control of money and use it as a tool to create the life that you want? Yeah, I agree 100%. 
So, Sharon, um, can you tell us a little about what it's like to advise two U.S. presidents and write a book with a third? <laughs> that's something that's very spectacular. Yes. Well, the, the last book that I wrote with the Rich Dad Organization was Why We Want You to Be Rich. And it was with, with Donald Trump um, before, well before he was president in 2006. And it was really giving those two different aspects because, you know, from an aspect of somebody who was born into wealth aspect for somebody who has to work hard to get it and understanding, you know, the power of um, the choice that we make and the decisions we make every single day. So the, it was an incredible opportunity. It was in the office, his office, the day that Barron was brought down for the first time. Melania brought the baby to introduce the baby to the team. It was kind of a cool, cool situation to be there and to be able to, to get to know um, the family. And certainly um, having the opportunity to be on the Presidential Advisory Council, I was one of 16 under President Bush and a little bit, a few more on Obama, but I was really the only entrepreneur. And so I was very much the mouthpiece for <laughs> small business and entrepreneurship. And it was an incredible honor to do that. And certainly the connections people I met were incredible. Wow. That, that sounds unbelievable. Very inspiring, Sharon. Um, what, do you, what do you like about cattle ranching? That's one of your favorite hobbies, I guess, right? Yes, we have a ranch, cherrycreeklodge.com. And when we got married, my husband told me he wanted a survival property. <laughs> and so we started about 16 years ago, we started looking for 10 acres somewhere so we could go build a cabin or shoot his guns or whatever. And we found this place and it was a lot bigger than 10 acres. It's 300 acres plus 40,000 acres of grazing rights in the national forest. And we've both fell in love with it because of the natural history. The history of it is part of um, the largest, the deadliest flute feud in the U.S. history was the um, Tewksbury's and the Grahams. And it was our property was the Tewksbury Ranch. And of course, the most popular one you hear, Hatfields and McCoys. But the, the deadliest was the Pleasant Valley War. And we love the history. We have grave sites marked by the National Forest on our property. And we really... That doesn't scare you at all? <laughs> fell, yeah, fell in love with the scenery. And so we said, we need to preserve this because they were going to cut it up into 10-acre parcels. We said, no, we need to preserve this. Mm -hmm. And so we we bought it the day we saw it. And when we did that, I told my husband, I said, we have to walk the talk. I mean, one of my favorite words on, my favorite word on earth is asset. I said, so if we're going to buy this, we need to make it an asset. So overnight, we became cattle ranchers, mm -hmm. uh, Black Angus cattle. Now, my father and mother were farmers. And so I, they had had cattle and um, horses. So my father was so excited that I was going back to my roots. But so we became cattle ranchers overnight. We built a beautiful lodge that people can go and bring their families as a little piece of just a little piece of heaven, totally off the grid. It's all solar power, our own well water. And we have business retreats there. And we invite everybody to check it out, family reunions, family, just a little getaway. You can rent a single room or you can rent the whole place out. So go visit cherrycreeklodge.com. We're so, we're so happy with it. It's such a little piece of heaven for us. Uh, that's very nice. Thank you, Sharon. I look forward to one day, by the way, uh, visiting you over there. I, I'm, I'm very big on the survival. We will look thing forward too. to that. Yes, we do have business <laughs> retreats every couple times a year. So, okay. 
Okay, great, Sharon. And um, how did how did you begin to uh, to work for Napoleon Hill Foundation? Can we zoom in on that a little bit? Sure. Well, um, we met Don years before I started working with him. He's the CEO of the foundation at Book America, Book Expo America. We had booths relatively close to each other, the Rich Dad booth and the Napoleon Hill Foundation. So we started ch chatting and he's such a wonderful man. And he got to know my husband and we, we actually did some helped him out on some of his international work from just helping him and introducing him to people, reviewing contracts, that type of thing. And we got to have a relationship, seeing each other every year found at the, the book expo. And then he learned that I had left rich dad and he reached out to me on March 20th, 2008. I found the slip well, a couple of years ago um, to see if I could step in to help on a new project called three feet from gold with a young author named Greg Reed that uh, he felt that needed to be boosted a little bit. And so that's how I met Greg Reed. And um, we wrote three feet from gold together. And so it was a phone call. I tell people every phone call can change your life. I got the phone call from the president. I got the phone call from Don Green. So, but that's when, you know, you become an authority. Everybody's an expert. Nobody's had your successes. Nobody's had your learning opportunities. But when you elevate that through intellectual property, through establishing yourself within your industry, you elevate yourself from becoming an expert to becoming the authority. And how do you know when you're an authority? Your phone starts ringing, <laughs> reach out to you. So, and Sharon, and, and on that point, can someone who's at the bottom that has, let's, let's just pretend they have no money at all. They're just starting out, right? Can they become great? without being connected to the right people? The power of association is very important. And it's really hard when you're around people that are, um, that are not engaged and not driving themselves to have that inspiration to keep going. Um, my personal success equation, you go to personalsuccessequation.com. I talk about you have your passion and your talent. That's all about you. My passion actually came from anger. I was mad we weren't teaching kids about money in school. My talent was accounting and publishing. And most of us stop there. We think we have to do it on our own, which is what you're talking about. But true success comes through that power of association. Having the right mentor, have somebody that can speed your way to success. Um, have people on your team who are strong where you are weak. Having the right group around you that's going to encourage you, the right masterminds. And then times A, taking action. So many times we know what we're supposed to do, we just don't do it. And then the last element is plus F, and that's faith. Having faith in yourself, having faith in what you're doing, have faith that it's needed and necessary, and have faith that you'll succeed. And when I start working with people, usually it's that power of association and that faith that need the most work. And they go hand in hand. When you surround yourself with the right people, your own self-confidence rises. And when you have a bad day, they're there to keep you up. And so the personal success equation is P plus T, passion plus talent, times A for association, times A for action, plus F for faith. Where, where does uh, the science of finance come into play? So can you become successful only knowing uh, just through association only and you don't basically you don't need anything any kind of knowledge about science of finance, or would you say that the best, um, the, the best way to do it is a combination of all the above. You get all the lessons from science, from finance, you get plus association, 
plus everything that you had mentioned earlier. And, and that is the, the complete plan to go to the top. Well, we're all the, you are the CEO of your own life and that means your own balance sheet. And so we talk about building businesses. Well, let's start at home. Okay. Are you in control of your money or is your money in control of you? And the science of finance is understanding how to buy, build, or create income producing assets because we're taught in school to chase for money, time for money. I want you to invest your time in buying, building, creating assets so that those assets can become employees for you. And part of that is understanding, having the right people on your team. If you don't understand finance and you need somebody on your team who does, who understands how to take what you're doing and make it an economic engine that creates positive cash flow. Too many people get all excited about building a business, but they don't take the time to build the financial structure into the business so that they make sure that it can scale and be successful. So they all go hand in hand. Okay. That's a great answer. Thank you, Sharon. What advice would you give to anyone financially struggling during the great pandemic depression? Well, the first step is to recognize where you are. Just by taking the time to recognize where you are, you're actually going to feel a little bit more empowered because you've done something. And then start seeing those small things that you can do today to make tomorrow better. A lot of people um, are you know, having a hard time. And now it's never been easier to become an affiliate for someone. Mm-hmm. So I tell people all the time, you may not have a new business started, but become an affiliate to somebody you believe in and start helping you know, promote them online and you end up getting cash flow. It helps give you a little bit more stability right away. And that stability can help you then focus on what you want to create. It's hard when you go to bed at night, afraid your car is going to be repossessed to have a quality of life that you deserve. And so it's very important to focus on your own financial domain, your own wallet. We can't control what's happening in D.C. Right. We can't control what's happening in our state, but we can control what's happening in our own personal wallet. Oh, excellent advice. Thank you, Sharon. What is the hardest obstacle that you ever had to overcome? Losing my son. There's nothing worse. You're not supposed to outlive your children. And, you know, a lot of times people ask me that as it relates to business, all right? But um, when someone asks from a standpoint of my life, that's it. There's nothing. I lost him eight and a half years ago. So I'm sorry to hear that, Sharon. Do you you think that um, struggling is a part of finance, learning about how to manage your wealth? Do you think that that struggling and, and wealth are interrelated in any way? Um, I think there's an element of striving and wealth. Um, if you're struggling, you're doing something wrong. You're not taking the right steps to create a financial foundation for yourself. A lot of people struggle financially. A lot of people are living paycheck to paycheck because they're not taking the steps necessary to create that base of financial well-being. Um, But I think every successful person would agree that there's a a lot of effort and striving to create that success that needs to go into it. And yes, success is not a straight line. There are ups and downs. So there are struggles within that journey. Mm -hmm. But I I would never say it's a prerequisite. You you face obstacles and you turn those obstacles into opportunities. If you went bankrupt today and had to start all over in the same business, what would be the major things that you would do right away to be back on top? 
well, first, I would never go bankrupt. <laughs> I'll start there. That's a very good answer, yes. <laughs> um, because I understand the power of money. And so I would make the adjustments I needed to before I got to that point. Um, things happen to us financially, and we have to respond. We have to figure out how to re- retool and mm-hmm. recalibrate. And um, having something happen to you negatively financially is not um, a, it's not a definition of who you are. It's just something that happened. So you have to look at it. I mean, my husband and I have lost a million dollars on a commercial real estate property back in 2008. Um, And we were not happy about it. But, you know, when I look at it over the time period we owned it, we made millions of dollars. So net, it was a net positive transaction. Um, We were very happy that we sold our apartment complexes that we owned back then in 2007 before the crash. So, but understanding and paying attention to your financial situation is so important and not putting your head in the sand. You know, a lot of people struggle financially because they keep ignoring it. And so the situation gets worse. So stop ignoring it. Take, take a, a status of where you are financially. And if things are going in the wrong, wrong direction, you might need to make some hard choices. Thank you, Sharon. What does it mean to be successful though? Well, success is a different definition for everybody. I mean, for me, the definition of success has nothing to do with the numbers in my bank account. It's how I feel about myself when I look in the mirror. Um, You can be successful in life. Mother Teresa was penniless and she was very successful, right? So the definition of success is unique to each individual. And sometimes people feel like they have to have this pursuit of wealth and they forget to be happy. And so, you know, success is really about your feeling of self-worth and contribution. And what, what, are, what is your thoughts on people like that who basically um, are very wealthy, very rich, but in financially, um, but are very poor spiritually? Well, there are very rich people who are very generous and supportive to their communities. I know them. Many of them are friends. And there are rich people who have... Um, Striven, you know, had they have worked towards financial wealth at the expense of family wealth, and um, you know, I it makes me sad for them because um, you know, family is everything, and happiness is. is I talk about it in Thinking Rich for Women. One big life. Your life is your finances, your health, mm-hmm. your spiritual life, your family, your business, your community all those things come together to create happiness. And so if you're focused in only one area, um, you're going to, you're going to miss out on a lot of quality of life. Great answer, Sharon. What, what would you like to accomplish in the next 10 years or so? So for example, what, what do you want to be your legacy, you know, in 10 years and then even step forward, uh, when you're not here anymore. I mean, what, what do you want to be remembered as? Well, your legacy is created every single day with every heart you touch. Just as I said, um, you know, when I had a young man come up to me and said 17 years ago, I did, you know, I taught his class and it changed his life. That's a pretty damn good legacy. <laughs> yeah. you know, it makes me pretty proud to know that there are people whose lives have improved because of something I shared with them. And I grew up, my father, my military dad would ask me every night, have you added value to someone's life today? 
And I still, he's been gone for 15 years, but I still ask myself that every night. And so my, I think your legacy is created every single day. And um, when I'm gone, my legacy is I hope that will people will hear my name. They'll say my life is better for having known her. Absolutely. Thank you, Sharon. Um, let's talk about mentoring. So you, in your, uh, in your new stage of life after, well, post uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad, you, you went into the polling hill, but you also went into mentoring. Mm -hmm. um, can you talk a little bit, bit about that and why you chose that path? Well, sure. Well, it's not something I did for a long time because I teach, you know, scalability. And so the cash flow quadrant, the left side is employee self-employed. And as a mentor, that's in the in the self-employed quadrant because I'm exchanging time for money. And on the right side is business and investing. And so my husband and I make much more money from our businesses that we own and the investments we make. But after I lost my son, um, I was pretty numb. And um, it was something that I almost, I almost retired and I got a lot of pushback. I even had him in my ear saying, get over it, mom, there's more for you to do. And so for everybody watching, you know, if whatever you've had happen in your life, whether it be a financial setback, a death, an illness, a divorce, um, you're still here for a reason and and you can help other people going through the same situation. And so I decided to get back into the game, but I decided to change it a little bit. Instead of playing the big, you know, the big scores with Disney, Warner Brothers, I decided to share my experiences and my knowledge with individuals to help them make the big scores. And so I launched into individual and group mentoring programs. You can go to my site, SharonLector.com to see more information about it. And I love it. Most of my clients call me Mama Lecter. Um, I love because you know my my role my role as a mentor is I step into your world and see what I can do to support you to build your business. Um, I love working with you. Um, the opportunity for us to help on group mentoring. We have incredible groups of people that are ready to take that next step, and it's something that uh, has it kind of has helped you know, heal a little bit of the hole in my heart from losing my son. So I've really enjoyed it, but it is a dedicated time effort. So. And I appreciate you. You've been an excellent mentor to me as well. So thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, we have just a few more quick questions. Some of them are a little, a little bit fun. Let's uh, start with the first one. What, what is the average amount that you would bet at the casino? Um, I actually, my parents used to love, my parents didn't smoke or drink. They didn't say anything bad. They were like touched little teetotalers, but they loved the slot machines. So my mother would sit at the nickel and penny machine and my dad would actually sometimes blow at the dollar machine. But, um, so when I go to the casinos, I, I, I seldom bet too much. You know, I, I give myself a budget as entertainment value. So I may lose a hundred bucks, 200 bucks, but um, it's, I, I, I expand a little bit beyond the slot machines. I'll do a little blackjack, a little roulette, but uh, I don't do it very often. That is very my husband, funny. My husband is not a gambler at all. He's okay. allergic to cigarette smoke. So we don't really go into casinos too much, too often. I, I actually, I, I find that hysterical. We're both in finance and your, your casino budget is, is actually mine too. It's about a hundred dollars. <laughs> and for the same reasons, I was very curious what, you know, what your response would be. Well, so they're, they're there for a reason. So, you know, <laughs> generally the house wins. So it's like, you know, let's be, pay attention to what your odds are. 
what 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 would you what would you um say to the our audience that might have gambling problems and there are a lot of them out there um any can can we give them advice in the realms of finance gambling Sharon, you're stuck. You there? Sharon? I think we lost Sharon temporarily. Let's see if she comes back here. Okay. <laughs> Very interesting. Well, Sharon will be back. If you don't mind, we'll we'll have to uh, keep this keep this rolling, and um, hopefully, it won't be too long until she she comes back in. These are these are the these are the funny things about having a podcast live. You know, it's not like having an interview uh, where two people are in front. Well, I, I guess anything can happen in that case, but always have the technological possibilities here. Excuse us one moment, folks, as I try to sort this out. Thank you.
Okay. Can you see me, Tony? Yes, Sharon, I am here. How are you? Right. You I'm are uh, crooked, though. All right, let me do it this way. There you go. Is that better? Yeah. Is that better? Uh -huh. All right. Yeah, our um, entire system just went down. Not quite sure why, but here we are. Well, this, this makes it even more interesting interview, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I kept it rolling for about five, ten minutes. I, I didn't know if you were coming back. That's great. <laughs> I think we were talking about um, gambling. gambling, addictions, <laughs> and how we love, allow them to take control of us. Uh -huh. And so um, our addiction to the Internet was just <laughs> stepping up and saying, I'm in control. So here we are. Oh, but you know what? We always find a way. I've found a way to get back to you. Yeah, and you know that your your uh, your screen actually looks really good like this. I mean, it's horizontal and all, but the the quality looks great. And this good. is your phone that you're doing this from. Yeah, my phone. Wow. Okay. All right. Well, let's let's continue before uh, before we get another interruption. <laughs> Who knows? The next one might it might just shut everything down. Yep. <laughs> well, thank you, Sharon. Um, all right, so I have two more questions left. Do, do we need money to survive? Um, money is, a, 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 my friend Rita Davenport says, money's like oxygen. It's right up there next to oxygen. Uh -huh. um, we kind of need it, but uh, the question is the quality of your life depends on the decisions you make, not on the amount of money you have. So, Okay. All right. And... Last is uh, $1 million enough for an average person to retire today. So a lot of people, they think that a $1 million is a lot of money. Um, can you talk about that, especially as it relates to retirement? Because having a money $1 million today and having a $1 million at retirement, two different things, but still they're interrelated at, at many points. Well, I could say that I think it needs you need five million or ten million, but you know that's going to create a lot of people to just kind of give up. So let's say you know let's strive to have that first million because many people don't have the first uh, fifty thousand, let alone hundred thousand, let alone million. And so it's you know when you start making unilateral conversations like that, you actually depress people. So I think it's important for people to understand that they need to be focusing on their retirement. Mm -hmm. Obviously, people are working a lot longer after 65 than normal because our lifespan is so much longer. But the issue is to buy, you know, is to really focus on those income producing assets, buy, build and create income producing assets. You have a rental piece of property, you're going to get the benefit of the tax benefits. You're going to have the leverage of the loans from the bank. You're going to have 100% of the ownership, 100% of the appreciation. And so that, that asset can grow for you. But if you're just exchanging time for money, you're not going to grow very fast. So it's important to buy, build, and create those income producing assets. Okay. Thank you, Sharon. And to wrap up, any last minute thoughts, comments, suggestions, any anything that you want to promote or uh, anything that's coming up pretty soon that you want to talk about? Well, a lot of people are, are nervous about talking about money. They're certainly talk, nervous about talking about their own money. And it's a very important to not do it alone. Find an advisor, somebody that can support you and help you figure out where you are. Um, the pro, I have programs, um, Money Mastery Program, you can find on my site that really takes where you are and compares it to national averages so you can kind of identify what it is, where you need to work first. 
Um, and a lot of it is that self-confidence at personalsuccessequation.com is where you know, your own confidence is going to elevate when you start taking steps to improve your financial health. And nobody's going to do it for you. So I challenge you all to start, start doing it today. Find a way to start improving your financial situation. Any new books coming out, Sharon? Exit Rich. Right here. You can go to exitrichbook.com forward slash buy for a pre-release copy. Exitrichbook.com forward slash buy. I'm very excited about it. It's with Inc. Magazine. And it helps people understand how to build that foundation of their business so that it will scale and create generations of wealth. So thank you so much. Oh, well, well, thank you, Sharon. Thank you for, for coming here today on our podcast. Um, we were able to pull through despite the uh, internet uh, disruption, but this was a great interview and I'm, I'm very honored to have you here. Well, so, thank you so much, Tony, and I wish you well. And I look forward to continuing to work with you. And for all, all of you watching and listening, find that advice that Tony's there to give you and start taking action in your own life. Thank you, Sharon. And to close out, so you've been watching the Dr. Finance Live podcast. We will have many more podcasts to come. And thank you for watching us today. And I look forward to, to seeing you again on, on the next episode. Take care, everyone.